Welcome all you good movie buddies to the Popcorn Diet, a podcast for those who live on a steady diet of movie theater popcorn and other movie snacks like everyone's favorite cookie dough bites. Delicious. Love them. As always, my name is Rick Williamson, your very best good movie buddy. And with us, as usual, is our other good movie buddy, the Canadian Machine, which is an appropriate nickname for today's episode, Mr. David Melhorn. David, I've had a busy week. How you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. Yeah? You know, managed to catch the movie. So I managed to see the Pacific Rim, so I'm prepared. Good, good. Likewise, likewise. It's been a, it's been a busy weekend. Um, before we get started, though, uh, this is coming out on a Tuesday. I just want to let everyone know that uh, I, that I your, very, your very best good movie buddy, Rick Williamson, will be emceeing the raffle at the Ivy event this Thursday. Um, the Ivy event's a really, really cool event, really cool social gathering, just meeting young professionals uh, in Phoenix. It's going to be in downtown Phoenix at the Mon Orchid Creative Studios, which is on Roosevelt on 2nd. Um, there's going to be a charity raffle that I will be emceeing, and um, it's there's some really really cool prize packages going out, some really cool stuff that you can buy raffle tickets and and put them in for the for the thing that you want, and then hopefully you'll win. Um, we the popcorn diet will be placing a Harkins prize package for the raffle, and that's going to include a twenty five dollar gift card. What? I know, right? Yep. A gift card, a popcorn pass voucher, which is uh, like a year's worth of free medium popcorn. Do you have to wear the T-shirt? No T-shirt anymore. Yes. No T-shirt anymore. Uh, you can get a free Harkins. Um, uh, they have the, a whole loyalty program now mm. that you know I don't have to wear a T-shirt. Um, but the big thing is, is that if you want to be a part of that, and if you want to be a part of the raffle, you gotta buy your tickets. Um, and there's only a few tickets left, but you can go to theivevent.com and buy those tickets. Now that that's out of the way, let's talk about giant monsters and giant robots, David. Um, or as I like to call it, a better Power Rangers movie than the Power Rangers movie. Um, and we're talking about Pacific Rim Uprising this week. And and I, I don't know about you. I mean, we didn't really talk about Pacific Rim, the original. I love the first Pacific Rim. Um, how did you feel about it? You on board with it? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm all in. Cool. I, you know, we get some Del Toro action. We get my boy Charlie Hunnam Your in there. Your boy's in it. That's right. Guillermo. Uh, obviously, if you haven't picked up on all of our Oscar coverage, we love Guillermo del Toro here. I I, I love him, um, and this is just him getting to make a big franchise film with the original Pacific Rim. Now, that being said, it wasn't like a massive hit here in the United States. The original, uh, Dave, well, David, you're a statistician. You're a, you're a historian. Give us give us some numbers. On what the original did. Not well, big. Not huge. Not huge. I mean, it made it over $100 million here, which, you know, if you watched it, you'd probably say, I feel like it probably cost more than $100 million to yeah. make. But the good news was is it made $400 plus million worldwide, um, which is why we got a second one. Exactly. Um, we didn't get Del Toro back. Instead, we got uh, Stephen S. DeKnight. DeKnight, yeah. And he's uh, a writer, mostly known for me. Yeah, maybe. done... Buffy, he was the Daredevil showrunner. Okay. Um, but this was his first feature, so... Um, That's a big, like... It is. It's a big budget to be a, given to you for... That's a big jump. For your first feature. Yeah. Um, and this one, you know, Uprising is... 
It, it opened, I think, a, like $9 million less than the original. I think it opened at 28 this this past weekend. Uh, knocked Black Panther out of the number one spot. and um, But it also, again, I think it's fitting the pattern of the original because it also made $150 million worldwide opening. That's pretty good. Um, and if it keeps that pattern up, you know, it's probably going to make about what the original made. Um, and going into this... I mean, I'm I'm love giant monsters and giant robots, and I was all into it. And it looked like they were kind of making it more colorful. Obviously, a lot of the uh, marketing was based around it's in the it's in the daylight, big bright robots, things like that. Uh, so coming into it, I was I was on board for it, but I wasn't expecting a you know an equal movie. And I don't think it is an equal movie. I don't think it's close to an equal movie. Um, what do you think? Well, I mean, I think anytime you, sorry, Stephen Estenite, downgrade from Del Toro to I mean, someone else, it's it's tough. Yeah. Um, I think also, you know, it's not like there was like a natural like progression of where to go after the first sure. Pacific Rim. Like it's not like it left you on a cliffhanger no, or like that. What? And you got some of the characters back. Um, you got like Charlie Day's character. Um, you got Newt. You got um, you got the doctor. The two doctors. You got uh, Newt Geisler and, and Herman, Herman Gottlieb. Gottlieb. Like, and they were great in the first one. You got Mako uh, or Mako Mori was back. Yeah. You even got a reference to you know the previous. I mean, the main character is John Boyega's. Stacker Pentecost, which exactly. is Idris Elba's character. Exactly. And so they they made connections. And, and again, there's no spoilers at this part. Uh, we, we won't get too much into it. They made enough connections to the first film for it to matter, I guess. Um, and, and I genuinely thought that they did some creative things here. Like they made some creative decisions that you – I certainly wasn't expecting. Sure. I mean you, you had kind of that like – Instead of like post-apocalypse world, you had like post almost apocalypse world. Post apocalypse, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like um, the apocalypse almost happened, but it didn't. Right. So now we're living in the world that almost had an apocalypse. Right. So uh, and they set it up and have some you know unique things about that whole world living past you know the major threat being gone type right. of thing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think, and like you said, the biggest thing that you notice is different, which makes sense when you move off of Del Toro. I don't know that Del Toro has had a movie that features daytime uh, <laughs> or or light in general. That's, I mean, yeah. I mean, even a, if you go to Shape of Water, everything happened in the evenings. Yeah. In his wow, movies. that's a really good point. Um, I'd so, have to go back and look at that. And Pans was always in the dark. And yeah, Pan, all that. Hellboy. Yeah. Not so, a lot of daytime action. No, so... Um, that obviously is stark difference. I also think, um, you know, Del Toro's form films are so much known for their monsters. Right. He even talks about him. He's a guy with his monsters. He loves his monsters. And this one I felt like was more about the, not robots, but the... The pilots. The pilots. Yeah. I mean, so, well, I mean, if you really want to boil it down, this is about John Boyega's character. Like, this movie's... Sure. This movie has three main characters and then a bunch of other side characters that matter, but they're not like big 
they don't have big arcs. It's literally John Boyega and then Scott Eastwood and then Kaylee Spaney and everyone else. And yeah. and it's and it's them three and everyone else. But in reality, it's John Boyega's movie. Sure. Like they lean hard into his charisma and into his just he's the dude's got star power and we're going to talk about this. But the dude has leading man star power. Well, and even from the marketing and all that, you could tell it was kind of John Boyega because he narrates the trailer. Yeah. When you get into the movie, he narrates the start of the movie. Yep. Um, so, I mean, it's it's very heavy centered around him. I mean, right. I would I would say one of the shortcomings is that, you know, they tried to develop Scott Eastwood, Eastwood's character and, right. and Kaylee Spaney's character, but you never really felt like no. You got there with them as no. much as it was like, this is all about Boyega's like, character or Jake Pentecost. They're easy to explain in one or two sentences. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, Kaylee's character, Amara, she's the rough streetwise girl who's technologically gifted and gets brought into the program. Yeah. And Scott Eastwood's Nate Lambert. Which is a great character name, by the way. I uh, really like that character name for some reason. I don't know why. He's the gruff military by the book guy. Yeah. And and John Boyega's the one with he's the one with the arc. He's the son of a legend who rejected his name, rejected his place in history, wanted no part of it, decided to go his own way, turned into a scoundrel, and has to come back and and. I mean, he's basically Han Solo, kind of. Yeah. Well, and I think the way that I see this movie is the first one, they tried to get you to think that, you know, it was somewhat about Charlie Hunnam's character. Right. And, you know, they showed his history, how he ended up there, then kind of his redemption and that kind of thing. Right. And then Idris Elba kind of came into it. Um, but that movie felt more like... It's about the robots fighting the the sure, monsters. I sure. know they're not robots, but, but even but even then, the cast in the original, there there are multi multi layered like you had Idris Elba and his setup, and you his had, daughter, you had Michael Mori and his yeah. setup, you had the Australian and and his dad, you had Herc, um, the Hansons, sure, you had even when Charlie Day and Bern Gorman show up, like yeah. they had their own thing. Sure. There were all these colorful characters, and in this one, really, there's only three, and then there's a bunch of the the teenage Jaeger pilots. Yeah, that you never really feel. No, like there's the Russian chick who I was into, like just in terms of a character, like oh, she's the gruff Russian. Uh, but why are the Russians always going to be gruff? I don't know. That's just who they are. It's just I'm not I'm not here to make any friends with them. Fuck them. No, I'm kidding. If there are any Russian listeners, I apologize. We love you. Good movie buddies. Well, we're not going to grow in Russia now. Good movie buddies. No one's going to listen to this there. Good movie comrades over there. We have good movie comrades there you over go. in Russia. Um, and in this one, it's just it's really it's not that. I don't want to use the word diverse. Because it is actually very diverse, but in terms of characters, they're not that diverse. The characters are pretty straightforward. Um, and I hate to say it, but a lot of the action, you can tell that this the big thing this movie is missing is Guillermo. And it is it is noticeable to me. It is missing his attitude it is missing his style it's missing his shot composition um one of my big thoughts coming out of this movie was how the big action sequences 
were framed and shot just you could just feel differently than they were in the first one feels like the first one pulled back a little bit more and let us see the action and it feels like this one was just a little bit too close for it to not feel like a bunch of pixels at least in my opinion sure um and so i had you know a great example you know the first movie had and and we're and again we're just talking about the first movie here but it had moments where gypsy danger is dragging that boat and uses it like a bat you have moments where like this chain sword comes out and it's a total surprise like there are these badass oh cool moments and i just didn't feel like there was anything like that in this movie I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Did you feel like there's anything there? I didn't have, like, there's a couple new toys that they show off, but it I didn't thought, feel I like... thought there was some good action scenes. I mean, I, I definitely agree. I think Del Toro probably set them up a little bit better, um, whereas some of this seemed like they kind of rushed through some of those, like, special things. Sure. Um, but, like, I enjoyed the opening, si- the opening scene um, with the... The, the sc- mini. I, with Scrapper. With Scrapper. Love Scrapper. Um, I like that opening scene with like the, I'm going to just say like police sure. Jaeger. Sure. Um, that was walking around. Um, I enjoyed that scene. I did um, enjoy that scene as well. And then um, I, of the f- other fights, and there's basically, if I'm counting correctly, there's basically One, three others. Two. There's Scrapper. There's the first fight in Australia. There's the second fight in uh Antarctica, Russia. Yep. There's the third fight with the drones and then there's the fourth fight with the okay, so with the kaiju. Three. Yeah. If I mean if we're talking about big robot yeah. action yeah. scenes. So, I mean you get you, that's what you basically get for them and I think um yeah, I mean I don't think they were any of them were as epic. I think well, they're I, not bad. And that's, no. I think, important to say, like, none of them are bad. No, and I think they're good. I think um, I had bigger expectations for the final one, I think. Sure. Um, if I'm comparing the previous one to this one. Right. Um, I never felt like I got, like, that big one that really, like, I enjoyed. Um, there was never – so when, when I watch these movies – I always look for that moment that makes me go like, oh, 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 this is cool. And I just didn't get there. Yeah. And again, I think some of it was they kind of rushed it. Like they'd reveal like some new weapon and then like you'd go into it, it'd be used and be done. Like it was gone. Like it's a a short movie too. Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing is we're only talking an hour and 50 minutes. And so there's not... You, you sacrifice somewhere. You're either going to do the big fights right. a bunch or you're going to do some character development or you're going to split down the middle, right. which I think is what they did. And I think that's why I think both are kind of lacking. Um, right. They didn't commit to say, forget the character development. Let's just do lots of sweet action scenes. Right. And they didn't say, you know what, let's make the action secondary and really develop really good characters. They kind of went like 70% on both. Yeah, exactly. Um. And so, well, now that brings up another interesting question, David. And this came up back up with Justice League as well. I I am of the thought. I love, I don't give a shit if an action movie is two and a half hours long. I'm in. I don't care. That's more bang for my buck. Like when, when now this, that being said, Michael Bay's Transformer movie is like, 
uh, I don't know if I could deal with two and a half more hours of any more Transformers. But, like, one of the greatest action films of all time, Bad Boys 2, is, like, two hours and 25 minutes long. I'm into all of it. And same thing with the original Pacific Rim. Same thing with the upcoming Avengers film. Like, they're going to be long films. But with this film and with Justice League, it feels like there was a like a actual concentrated effort by the studio, the director, I don't know who, I don't know what, to say, like, we're getting this under two hours. Well, I mean, I, to me, it's more about how to use that time. Like you said, if it's a good action movie... You can take three hours for all I care because I'm probably not going to realize it was three hours until I get out or I go see it a second time. Um, But if you're a bad action movie, then yes, please keep it a little shorter. Please keep it shorter. Well, I mean, you look at, I mean, not to keep calling back uh, DC into the mix, but like you look at Batman v Superman, right? Could have been shorter. And that could have been shorter. (laughs) And that's because like we didn't like enjoy the general premise of that movie like we didn't enjoy the way superman was portrayed we didn't enjoy the way batman was portrayed but then you go to justice league and you have a lot of these characters who are enjoyable i want to see more of the flash i want to see more cyborg i want to see more of not murder batman i want to see more of nice guy (laughs) superman and 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 it just feels like they and it's same thing here like i want to see more of these cadets i want to get more of their personality i want to see more action i want to see action i need you to pull the action back you, about you know what we never got a in this, third of a frame we never got in this movie which we got i believe we had it in the f- first one i'm kind of picturing it and we get in most action movies like this uh-huh. we never got the the training montage no, instead like, we got we, like a rebuilding montage. Yeah, which that was what we got instead. Which, 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 without going into it, felt like the weirdest montage. It really did because it was literally sometimes it just cut to guys like pointing at shit. <laughs> and I'm like, what are we doing? There was you're right. There was never. Now there were a couple of times where it cut to like Amara getting trained, but it was never a montage. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the montage. The mon- I don't know why. The, mon- just, the montage was lacking in this movie. I just remember being so like they bring back number one. They also didn't bring back the composer, so the the music was lacking as well. But the, for the montage, they bring back the main like the main theme. Sure. And I'm like, yeah, this music kicks ass. But then it's like they're welding, <laughs> and I'm not that into it. It was just funky. Don't um, get me wrong. Like the the way the story was going, like you need some welding involved. But I'd also like to see like you know some people you know training really hard and yeah. like some like big things coming together. And like they kind of skimped out on it. But. Yeah, yeah. It was it was a little weird. You know, the kaiju didn't quite have the personality that. Guillermo brought to the kaiju like in the first film in the first film you had they all resembled like a type of animal or something like you had the one big gorilla looking motherfucker and then you had the one guy who had the acid spit and then the the wings and and the kaiju in this film are so brief without getting into major spoilers yeah I think you gotta talk about that a little bit when you get into spoilers but yeah, yeah I, I would agree I mean I think they took a different approach obviously to the the bad guys or sure. in this case the kaiju 
um, for the film, sure. which I think led to you know some of the areas that it lacked too. And that being said, you know, as far as the script goes, you know, despite the fact that we think like the character development wasn't was lacking or the action scenes that were lacking, I actually really appreciate some of the twists that this film makes. Uh, I appreciated some. I mean, again, we'll talk about this more in spoilers, but I appreciated. I thought it was. It, it knows that it's not to be taken seriously. They have fun with this film. They're, they're, it's funny. Like, there are funny jokes in the film. John, again, can't talk about John Boyega enough. Like, the guy it just oozes charisma. Um, and and the action sequences are good, but they're just, they're just missing a little bit, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that it seemed like they took a conscious effort to try and make this film funny. Right. And I think some of the things hit and some of them didn't. Right. But there was a couple times where I'm like, all right, that joke was a little forced. But right. like, I appreciate that, you know, they took a different approach on it and and went for, you know, and, and maybe it was because they, they took Boyega and realized that like, you know, we've got a guy who's, you know, got some, some funny in him, yeah. you know, and, and is able to pull off some of this stuff. And, and maybe it felt more natural to go that way with him than like try to make him ultra serious, you know, like a right. Charlie Hunnam's character in the first one, that kind right. of thing. Right. So, you know, it's all so, okay. So let's, let's wrap up the non-spoilers. All of that being said, David, where do you put this in terms of a popcorn rating? What do you think it what do you think this deserves in terms of a popcorn rating? You know, I think it's I think it's like a 3. So, I think we're I think we're what microwave popcorn there. Yeah, yeah. And and we don't have a 0.5 system here. No. We, we don't have a half a point. But this movie almost makes me want to institute a half a point here because it it doesn't feel bad enough to be a three. It, there is still a lot of fun to be had. It's a big movie. You should go see it on the big screen yeah. if you're going to go see it. But if you're on the fence about it, like probably just wait for Ready Player like, One next week. Like just, just don't go there expecting like to be like just, wow, that was amazing. Like right. if – if you're bored on a weekend and you need something to do, you know, it's here in Arizona, it's starting to get hot. You want to be warmer. outside. You want to get into some air conditioning. Ready Player One sold out, you know. Worse places to go than, than Pacific Rim 2. Absolutely. There are, so, worse, there are worse ways to spend under two hours. I didn't walk out of it being like, you know, well, that was terrible. No. Like, I walked out of it like I enjoyed that movie. And it's short it. enough that I never got to the point where I'm like, all right, <laughs> Let's let's get this over with. That's true. Like, like it moves very quickly. If anything, the the two thoughts that I had walking out of the theater were number one, like, like oh that was that was you know that wasn't terrible. Yeah. <laughs> and also just like it, it just makes you realize how important Guillermo del Toro is, or just any time you have a franchise film. That is directed by a, a, a true visionary filmmaker. Like, I'll be vendor, very interested to see what the new Hellboy is like yeah. without someone like Guillermo behind it. I'll be very interested to see that. Um, and the same is true of, of pretty much anything. Now, that being said, Guillermo chose not to direct this film so he could direct The Shape of Water. And that worked out pretty fucking good for him. Uh, I guess. So I can't, can't fault the guy for it. Now, that leaves us. Now, there are two questions, David, that I wanted to wrap up this particular section with on besides the rating. Number one, you know, we talked about the box office before. 
and we, we are living in a world right now that is more connected than ever. It's a smaller world than it's ever been. We, we know what's going on on the other side of the world when it's going on real time. And so when it comes to box office, domestic box office doesn't matter as much as it used to. Because when you factor in the billion plus people in China who, who go to see films about China, you get these films. Like this film, a lot of it is set in China. Several main characters are Chinese. Yeah, most of them the, are. The, I mean, outside of like your main main characters, right. most of all the supporting characters are Are, are Chinese, Japanese. The finale is in Japan. Yeah. Um, it's in, it's by Mount Fuji. Um, are, are, we, I, I don't know if the correct question is, are we okay with this? But it's more like, how do you feel about that? Cause to me, if China giving a movie $200 million means I get to see another Pacific Rim, I get to see another, maybe a Warcraft or, or a film that doesn't do good here, but does great overseas, then I'm fine with it. Like China and international is one of the reasons that the Fast and Furious series is so damn popular. Those movies sure. are huge in China. Like, are we cool with that? Absolutely. I'm cool with that. I mean, I'm I'm of the mindset, you know, I would rather see that than more independent movies. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't want to well, listen, I mean, listen, we we have a great amount of good fantastic independent movies sure and i feel like you know we're less and less of like these big like popcorn like movies that are not going after oscars in any way right but are just good solid like sometimes a little bit weird like things like that like there's not those as much anymore and there a lot of them aren't very well done if there are those um and not to say that this movie is like amazing or anything but i like I can appreciate what both of the Pacific Rim movies have done sure. and how they are. And, you know, I enjoy, you know, and this is us personally and, and probably a lot of people out there don't care for it. But like I enjoyed the the Warcraft movie and I enjoyed it. I like the fact that, you know, we might get another try at it. Um, probably not, but it, it's it's in the cards. But like you look at like like you look at last year's box office in China, like Transformers the last night. Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales, Kong Skull Island. Hell, fucking Return of Xander Cage. 13. All made a huge amount of money there. Like, Return of Xander Cage made $164 million over there. That's why we keep getting those. Like, the whole reason we got another Pirates of the Caribbean movie is because it made a billion dollars worldwide. Sure. The whole reason that, like, look at Kingsman made 116. Like, these movies are making more than they're making here. Um, and I'm fine with that as long as what we get is is quality product. Did you ever see Return of Xander Cage? I did not. Dude, we didn't do a podcast about it. It's fucking great. I just <laughs> I, I want to see it. I just didn't see it. I think it's on Prime now. You, okay. You should see it. It's delightful but that's the thing is is again and this wasn't me trying to rip at independent films but the thing is is like but also let's be let's be honest like you, you i are. i don't need an there's plenty of coming of age movies out there <laughs> <laughs> i wouldn't mind another cheesy over the top popcorn movie yeah. like you know there's plenty of these things i don't want to like have this deep heavy movie that i gotta 
watch every time and it's great i'm sure there's a fantastic message over it you right. know i love the movie the big sick but i don't need like eight big six every year like i'd like some <laughs> diversity well, yeah and then also like the florida project doesn't need chinese dollars to get made mm. like that movie costs a hundred million dollars or a hundred thousand dollars and an iphone listen and, if we're gonna spend chinese money let's let's spend let's it on spend the big it. shit sure <laughs> exactly and the other question david we've talked about him enough already but it's the future of john boyega as we already talked about, like, this is the John Boyega show. Like, he he really, he did Attack the Block, and when he did Attack the Block, that was his first movie, he was the main character, and everyone was like, this guy's going to be big. And then they grabbed him for Star Wars, and he's big. And then he did a couple of other, I don't want to call them smaller films, but they're certainly more dramatic. He did The Circle with Tom Hanks and Emma Watson, mm -hmm. and he did Detroit with Catherine Bigelow. Both those movies were positioned to be potentially big movies that just didn't take off. This is really the first chance that we're seeing John Boyega as a front leading man, top of the poster, other franchise outside of Star Wars. And in my opinion, he kills it. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's easily the best character in the movie. Right. Crushes um, it. He's funny. He's charismatic. He can he can be goofy, yeah, and he is, and he can give a good speech. Like he has he has it all. Mm -hmm. Where can that take him? Well, um, I know. Can, well, what, can, what what we were I talking about beforehand. You you tell me your your idea first. Okay, so my idea is there's been all of this like. Uh, online talk about how people want Idris Elba to be James Bond. Ten years ago, y'all, I would have been right there with you. Idris Elba's James Bond is a fucking great decision. But Idris Elba's as old as Daniel Craig, if not older. And when you cast a new James Bond, you go younger. That's just how it happens, typically. That's because well, they take forever to make, and they only come like every three, every four, three years. or four <laughs> years. So word is Daniel Craig is going to be in one more. Word is that uh, I believe it's Danny Boyle is going to be on board with it, which is really interesting and exciting. Um, but once Daniel Craig is done, John Boyega will be like 30. Idris Elba is 46, he, by the way. He's 26 now. Okay. so But he's still, he's getting up by oh, the yeah. time oh, Daniel yeah. Craig's done. He'd be fucking, 50. He'll be 50. Yeah. So when when Daniel Craig is done, John Boyega is going to be 30, 31. This dude should be the next James Bond. This dude would crush. He's got it all, dude. He can play tough. Like, you look at him in, in Attack the Block, and he plays, like, that street gangster, Moses. And he's just no bullshit, like, intimidating. He's got this look. And then you look at him in this, and you look at him in Star Wars, and he's got personality. He can be funny. He can be charming. He can be witty. That's James Bond, dude, and I'm putting, I'm throwing it in right now. I'm fucking all on board with John Boyega, James Bond. See, I'm all on board with it. See, I go in a little bit different direction because okay. I feel like between Star Wars and this, and it may be just because of the recency of it, um, but I feel like he's at his most comfortable or I enjoy him the most when he's at that kind of like, 
a little bit of goofy. Uh-huh. And, you know, we at least to date, we haven't gotten very much goofiness out of a Bond. No, this, um, but that's maybe we need a course maybe, correction. Maybe, maybe. we'll go in a Roger Moore direction. Maybe. Um. <laughs> maybe, I doubt it. <laughs> if anything, with the current political climate, we'll get even more dark. <laughs> so... Um, I was thinking he could be a great, and obviously there's not a series to like plug him into or a need sure. for this at the time. But I'm thinking like we've got another actor that's you know on his way out as far as being able to play this character. Okay. And I'm not saying you bring him back to play this character, but we could start a new franchise around a similar type character. I like more like Die Hard type of. Ooh character Ooh. like a john mcclain type of character Ooh. like it's very interesting give him the action but also allow him to have kind of like, like smart that ass. Like smart ass well in a perfect you know, in a perfect world david i i'm on board with that like, like if a we john mcclain james bond if, is that what you're well if we can get him and like an because john mcclain was an original creation well it technically wasn't an original creation it was an adaptation but die hard and and the series that followed you know they are they're 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 not tied to like a comic book. That's the big thing now is comic books. Yeah. So if we were to give John Boyega like make him his own action star, give him his own born. Yeah. Man, all these movies are fucking adaptations. I'm sure. trying to think of an original action star. <laughs> there's not many. There's not many. Even when you go back late, there's not many. Um, but I think you could. I think you're 100 percent correct. You could plug him into a franchise. Hell. You can make him Green Lantern in, there you go. in the DC. And he seems willing to jump on board franchises. He got a fucking producer credit. That's true. For for, for Pacific Rim. He's he's moving up in the world. Um, have him be a part of the Fast and the Furious franchise. Bring his ass in there. <laughs> him and Tyrese can go at it. It'd be fucking hilarious. Um, but I I mean John Boyega is just charming as fuck in this movie. And and we'll talk about some of those moments and the spoilers coming up, but but yeah, I'm I'm very excited for this guy's future. Uh, I'm super pumped. Like I hope he he just feels different than all of those other guys. Like he feels different than like a Sam Worthington. He just feels like he actually has charisma and a personality, and that's exciting. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. We'll see if if four years from now they announce John Boyega's new James Bond, I'm going to pull this podcast back <laughs> and I'm going to say I should have put money on that. Um, but with all that being said, before we get into spoilers, I always like to remind everybody to like, rate and subscribe. Do us a big favor. If you're listening on iTunes, if you're listening on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, whatever, just throw like five star rating up there real quick quick write a review whatever share us with your friends throw us on twitter on facebook on instagram you can follow us on twitter on facebook on instagram at the popcorn diet or you can go to our website popcorndietpodcast.com to read all of our reviews you can read our pacific rim review or to listen to all of our episodes right there but now we're gonna get into the spoilers uh now david one of the things that we were talking about was the funny parts movie. What's your favorite funny part that made you chuckle? I have one particular. I had two, and I want to see if they're if they're the same as yours. I'm trying to remember. If you can remember them. I'm trying to remember now. Um, I know I kind of put you on the spot. I didn't really prep you for this. It was more in my own head, <laughs> so I apologize. You know, I I think I enjoyed. You know, there's a couple things I enjoyed. I enjoyed the beginning part where he's talking about like post. Uh huh. Post uh, 
Kaijo post uh, breach being closed. Right, like living in living half a mansion. Half a mansion that's got like the kaiju like that. skeleton there. I live in half a mansion. But he's talking about like traded this for this, this uh-huh. for this, and then he's and like, he's trading crazy shit. Like he's tra- trading a car for like for sriracha. Traded this, you know, car for a uh, case of sriracha. And yeah, then he says like something Frosted about Flakes. like something about like I love freaking hot sauce yeah. or something like that. Um, so I enjoyed that whole little uh, montage thing. I also really enjoyed, and it kind of echoed me back to Star Wars, which is probably just natural because of again the recency of it. Sure. But when he got into Scrapper, um, in the very beginning where they're trying to get away, mm-hmm. and he's like wanting to take control because right, he's the try. guy, like you know, I'm the older one, I'm the guy. And it kind of reminded me of Ray on the planet of like him wanting to seem like. You gotcha. know, he was in control, that kind of thing. But I enjoyed sort of that whole chase and the comedy with the the police Jaeger, like, making those comments and that kind I of like thing. I like how the and, Jaeger was like, are you serious? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> I like that a lot. So my two favorite parts were when he made the joke about uh, Scott Eastwood's chin implant. Mm-hmm. He's like, I came back to look at your chin implant, and I really liked that. I just thought that was a great line. Yep. Specifically for Scott Eastwood, like, just a great line. And then I really liked – I mean – as much as I talk about how the kids didn't have characterizations, like individual characterizations, as a whole, like I enjoyed them, um, and I liked when the one flipped the double birds to the kaiju in sure. the in the robot. Yeah, and I was just like, I like that made me laugh. I, I enjoyed that. I thought that was a good character touch. Well, and I even liked, you know, he they kind of even poked fun at a couple of things as callbacks to the original, like. I think uh, Boyega says something along the lines of like, I'm not going to give you some long speech about. Right. Uh, and he pulls some like specific phrases from his dad's speech uh-huh. in the original one. Idris Elba's speech He's in the like original one. He's like something about canceling the apocalypse. Yeah, And exactly. then people are like, it was a great speech. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I like that He too. talks about that. And then even when he gives a speech later, when him and the girl are out towards the end and she kind of makes fun of the fact that he gave the speech that kind of thing he's so, like do you like it do you really like yeah. it <laughs> but yeah. it was it was nice that you know with so much turnover and characters and that kind of thing yeah um i like that it didn't just try to like do the same exact thing with that's true with different characters sometimes you get these quasi sequels where they lose so many of the important people but try to be the same as you know, the same tone and everything as the other one. Right. Like this one seemed to not take itself super serious and was okay to, you know, make fun of the things that maybe it even got made fun of for in the first one, uh-huh. you know, some of that kind of stuff. Um, and so I enjoyed that. I mean, it was a different take. Obviously, you know, as we talked earlier, I don't think it's as good as the first one by any means. No. Um, but I did enjoy, you know, kind of a different approach that they took to it. Yeah, I, I think that... I am I am kind of half foot in, half foot out when it comes to the characters that they brought back. Like, number one, I appreciate that they brought the doctors back, and I really appreciate the twists that they took with those doctors, which we'll talk about in a second. But, like, I wish they would have brought back, like, some of the other guys, like Clifton Collins Jr., who was sort of like the tech ops guy. Mm-hmm. Like, he could have come back. Or Herc Hansen, who ended up being, like, the marshal at the end, who was uh, the Australian dad. Like... They could have brought him back. Uh, no Ron Perlman, although I think they didn't bring in Ron Perlman just because he was busy. I'm pretty sure Ron Perlman would have done that shit in a heartbeat. Um, well, it was also not Del Toro and Ron Perlman that's just true. asked for Del Toro. So. That's true. Um, and then, like, 
like Mako Mori, like bringing back bringing back her was good because you needed to have that connection with with John Boyega's character because they're adopted brother and sister, but she's just such she's it feels like she only exists to die, which is pretty much what she did, and that sucks. Like yeah. uh, for as big of a journey as she took in the first film, like we couldn't come up with something better for her to do in this film. Well, and you couldn't have had her go out in a better way. Like she was a badass. By the end of she's the she's fucking movie. the hero of the breach, and yeah. she goes out in a helicopter. Yeah, that Get was the fuck out of here. That I would have preferred. Like you didn't even really know what her role was anymore. You kind of got the sense that she was like in charge of the Jaeger program to some right. point, um, and that she had some big pull. But at the end of the day, like I couldn't. That's that's how unclear it was. She was the general secretary of the Pan Pacific Defense Corps. But I have no clue what that means. Right. Right. <laughs> Other than she that? had enough pull to have in the past gotten uh, Jake Pentecost out of trouble. Sure. John Boyega's character out of trouble in the past. Sure. Um, so yeah, I mean, I would have liked. And again, some of this comes down to like we talked before. You you went under two hours on you know a big action film. Right. You probably left some time you know out there that you could have developed some of these like. It wouldn't have taken more than like 10, 15 minutes to give her a little bit more significance, us to understand a little bit more about her, right. and even just give her a better way to go out than that. Like, right. You know, have her like fly the helicopter into the face of the the drone Jaeger to like let people escape or something like that. Like, do the sacrifice or something like that. Like, give yeah. her something better than like. You know, and I and I get it that he wanted to do the whole thing about him, you know, missing catching her by like just that much right. and whatever. But at the same time, like you could have been done so much better. It could have been done so much better. And 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 the same is true for for some of the twists in this film too. Although, like I said, I really do like the some of the decisions storytelling wise that they made here. As rushed as the film feels. I really found it interesting that they made Charlie Day's character the villain. Yeah. Um, and it made sense, too. Like, it didn't just come out of the blue. It goes back to his original character wanting to drift with a kaiju and wanting to merge brains and being kind of the obsessive that he is. Like, yeah. it... It totally made sense. And so the fact that they turned him into this like brainwashed spy that had been building these from from underneath everyone's noses, I, I really liked that. I thought that was a, a bold decision. I agree. And I think but along those lines, again, like I would have liked to have seen it developed more. Like right. I didn't really quite understand what they were trying to tell me when he went back to his apartment. And you saw his and brain. And you saw Alice, the brain. Kaiju's brain, which felt like the most Guillermo del Toro thing in the whole Absolutely. movie. Absolutely. And, like, he started talking to it, and it was like, you want to have some fun? Like, and I didn't know if it was like he had kept this brain to, like, torture it. Right. Or whether, like... Like, I didn't quite understand what that was until sure. obviously later I could tell that it was just like he was obsessed with the experience or whatever. Sure. But it was just, it was kind of weird. Like, and I wish they would have developed that. Like, we could have had more scenes of like what that was doing to him, that kind of thing. And I get some of that would have taken away from the reveal or that. Um, but like, the reason I feel like I wasn't fully expecting um, 
Charlie Day to be the bad guy is because like they didn't really give you any clue. I mean, they gave you some clues, but like even that scene wasn't like that wasn't the aha moment. Sure. Like he's bad. It wasn't until like it wasn't until the end. Yeah. And and but and even then, I, I think it's less about the clues and more about just like the reveal, because when you reveal that this character is the bad guy. There isn't like a big dramatic shot. There isn't a big piece of dramatic music. It's literally just like he turns around. I'm like, oh, I did this. And it almost takes the audience a second to catch up and realize like, oh, shit, he's doing something bad. And that's because just in the language of film, it doesn't it doesn't come off that that direct. No, Um but well, and and there's some just there's just some other shit that just goes unexplained. Well, and you're you're led to believe the whole time that like, which is fine. They do this in movies all the time. But you're led to believe that this like Shao is the bad guy. is the bad guy. Right. Like, you know, it's it's almost feeling like one of those stories. Like she wants to plant droids, drones all around. Right. And like there's this release night. Like you almost make it seem like she was creating an enemy. Like that whole attack on the helicopter. Yeah. Was just to prove. Was that done on purpose that we need the drones. And maybe I still can't tell you that it wasn't. Right. Because it never is clear where she says, like, that wasn't me. Right. Like, that kind of thing. Like, she says, like, because of what happened in Australia, we got a full approval. Right. Like, we need to get this launched out. Like, and I think ultimately what happened was that we find out that that drone is being controlled by a kaiju brain. And I think ultimately it's because, like, Charlie Day is the one who like put that put that obsidian fury out there the bad yeah. jaeger and then and i i really you know the thing that i actually really liked is and i wish we got more of was the was the drone kaiju hybrids i actually really liked when they started freaking out and sprouting like kaiju body parts yeah. and their mouths turned into kaiju mouths like yeah. i was like this is something that's genuinely different and like oh this takes everything from the first and second movies and says, fuck you, we're going to do something different with it. Um, and that was explained enough. Yeah. Well, and I think it it was cool, too, because, like, like we talked about earlier, there wasn't, like, a real natural progression of, like, this is where we go to next right. after the first right, one. Right, because like, they had won. They, they had won. They had ended the – they had canceled the they, apop they, apocalypse. They did. <laughs> um, but there wasn't, like – like, it would have been pretty lame to be, like, oh – you close the breach, but oh, there's another one. Right. Like, darn it, you right. know, like that kind of thing. So, like, this was the this was actually a really creative way to like keep it going because really the only like active kaiju thing out there was the brain that they saved. Right. Um, so it was a it was a really creative way to kind of bring back that kaiju threat um, and still have the monster element to this without basically restarting the previous the movie. Previous movie, right? And then even then, like. I like the idea that all these breach, they all of the drones came out and opened up breaches, but they shut the program down fast enough. But three kaiju got through, and 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 again, you know, we get to the final fucking battle, and it's the four uh, Jaegers, the four giant robots against the three kaiju, and again, those three kaiju just didn't feel like they had that much personality. Um, the only one I remember was the one whose face opened up like in quadrants, mm -hmm. like it, it's like almost like a flower. 
like it had armor on its face and then it opened up and then it had its like its mouth and whatever like that one was pretty dope and then i remember one was like crawling like a spider on the tops of the buildings but that's all i remember i remember it more post when it all merged together in one giant one and had like the tail and everything right which also by the way was fucking unexplained like yeah. he literally just tapped he's standing on the fucking roof of the house and or the the building he sends all the little what micro things what are they what are those those aren't not explained i thought they were just like going out there to heal it at first but then like it did heal it but it also like merged it together like well there's also a few shots from the trailer that didn't make it into the final film like there's a shot in the trailer of scott eastwood with a machine gun standing in the street shooting at those things as they're coming to him so everyone thought they were like little kaiju yeah um there was a shot of charlie day standing on that building yelling that's what i'm talking about like it's in all the trailers that wasn't in the film yeah um so there's again there's some interesting things where this is becoming more and more where we see shots and scenes in the film that are in the trailer that aren't in the final film but that went completely unexplained mm -hmm. and then they make this gigantic super kaiju who again they never really pull back enough and show you all of him and i just wanted like that one overhead shot in the city or a helicopter shot or something because you get a general idea like he's got all the eyes he's got the tusks he's got the two tails yep. that's it though like i actually thought the better fight scene was the um the rogue, the Antarctic, the, the, Antar the, city the, or Rus the, the Russian, the Russian fight. One. I like that fight. I like that fight a lot. I thought it was good. You got a good like mixture of like different weapons and different strategies, uh -huh. and you got to see, um, you know, uh, Scott Eastwood and and Boyega's characters kind of like rehash like when they used to be partners like right. let's do the old move you remember the old move and like you even saw like them both contribute in different ways right like and have their own tricks and like it really felt like what these jaegers had always been advertised has been like the melding of two brains yes like to be a not just to operate it but to be a more formidable opponent mm -hmm. um, and so i thought that one was actually the more exciting fight scene I think my biggest issues with any of the fight scenes, really my biggest one overall though, is the way that they took out the the, the big, super kaiju at yeah. the end. Like, I get it. They set it up with the whole thing earlier where, uh, what's his name? The scientist, uh, Herman, yeah, whatever. Gottlieb. Gottlieb um, talks about how the kaiju blood could be used to you know, create these boosters or sure. that kind of thing. And then they use them to get there uh -huh. and then they use them again to get up. And obviously I know that brought in Scrapper to run the, I like that, which I enjoyed that. I like that. We've got Scrapper back in the mix, but like there wasn't like you flew up into space and then you basically just fell on it. Like right. that was like how you killed it. Like, you think of like killing these monsters with like some epic like sword slice where right. there's kaiju blood everywhere right. or you know an explosion where it takes it out like you, it doesn't even seem like it's really dead it seems like it's more like knocked out than Until anything it pulls away and you see that it's in like two pieces sure and that's i think you're right i think in the first film when they killed the kaiju like they sliced one in half with the chainsaw which was dope 
they they shot that other one like they put the plasma cannon under its arm and just like blew it to hell and ripped its arm off and then shot it when it was dead like those are like memorable moments even this film when they're fighting obsidian fury they're fighting the rogue um jaeger like they have like you see like all oh, when they shove the sword into its leg and then they pull the sword out again yeah. and then when they punch through his through chest, his like, chest yeah. it's those are finishing moves yeah. like it's like mortal Kombat. you want to see it yeah and this was just like oh we're gonna crash into it and there's a big bright light yeah and it was a little eh. Also, like, do you mean to tell me that this kaiju jumps, it's going to jump into Mount Fuji? Or F- is it Fiji or Fuji? Fuji, right? Yeah. Fuji. Go to, Fiji, go to Fiji's an island. Fuji's okay, a mountain. <laughs> okay. So it's on the edge and it's looking into the lava, right? And then this fucking gigantic <laughs> ka- Jaeger comes flying into it. You mean to tell me that that impact is not going to set off that fucking volcano <laughs> with all of that blood anyways? Like, you happen to pick the perfect angle that you flew in and you hit the monster, but you didn't hit the volcano? And that's probably why they couldn't have all the kaiju blood everywhere, because everybody would have been like, wait a second, like, wasn't the kaiju blood what was going to mix exactly. with the volcano? Exactly, exactly. So, there, again, like... This movie is fine, but it is just missing those touches that Guillermo brings that give the the robots attitude, that give the kaiju attitude. Like, And again, as I said at the beginning of this film, this movie is a better Power Rangers movie than the Power Rangers movie sure. was. The robots and the kaiju are still badass. They're way more badass than they were in the Power Rangers movie. Yep. They're more iconic. They look good. You have all of the different Jaegers. You have the short one with the with the wrecking ball. You got the one that's the super ninja fast one. with the ninja swords. You have Gypsy Avenger. Like it's great. Um, but they're just missing that little bit of personality that takes them to the next level. And that's something that I think you only get with Guillermo. Like, sure. I think you only get that there. And I think that that's one of I think that's one of the biggest things that it's where there's really cool shit in this movie. Again, it's really funny. John Boyega is a great leading man. He crushes it. But there is just enough off in enough places that that's why it's merely okay yeah sure so So question yes would you want another pacific rim movie sure (laughs) like i'm still in on it like again as like the the first pacific rim was amazing and the second one felt like like they were especially looking at the trailers like okay we're gonna take what was in the first one like we're gonna put it in daylight we're gonna have different jaegers and i'm like okay i'm into that And then, like, there's just things that they did wrong here. Like, again, one of my biggest complaints is that when they're fighting these fucking robots, like, I lost my sense of geography. (laughs) Pull that shit back a little bit. Like, film it like a Godzilla film. It doesn't need to be so close. Um, And I'm I'm still into it. So what if... Because I think it'd be hard to go, like, to yet another, like, to a Pacific Rim 3. Like, it'd be hard to do that, but w- there's this whole story of everything pre-Idris Elba and sure. Charlie Hunnam, everything sure. that happened in there. Prequel. Like, what if, like, 
and this would never happen, but what if Guillermo del Toro said he was going to do a I'm prequel gonna, to Pacific I'm thousand Rim? Percent <laughs> it, a thousand percent it. But at the same time, this film does set up a sequel. It sets up when they capture Charlie Day and they have him strapped in. Sure. John Boyega comes in and Charlie Day's like, we're going to keep coming, uh, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And John Boyega's like, we're coming for them. Like, we're going to bring the fight to them. Sure. Not for nothing, but that's how the last Independence Day movie ended, too. <laughs> And that movie fucking sucked. <laughs> I was gonna say, don't tell me about, don't talk about. It. Do you remember I, the end of that movie? There is only one Independence Day movie, Rick. And Brent like, Spiner. I, no, there is only one Independence Day movie. I don't know of what you're speaking of. Let's go kick some alien ass by Brent Spiner in that movie. Listen, that... Brent Spiner was only in one Independence movie, <laughs> and he played Data in Star Trek. And that's, that's all and, he is. And you know what? I think that this, even though they were not nearly as far apart as the first Independence Day and the second Independence yeah. Day, this movie is vastly better than oh, the second Independence absolutely. Day. Like, I would still be into... Like, if 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 a friend of God, mine said, hey, I really want to go see Pacific Rim 2, like, will you come with me? I would go see it. Like, I'm not, I'm not like, no way. Will you go see But, like, I will not go see Independence Day 2. <laughs> Oh man! All right, I think that's a great question. By the way, that's fucking oh Independence Day too. I'm sorry I even brought that up. It's gonna haunt me for the day. Um, yeah, I think that's. I mean, again, it's a perfectly fine movie. Yeah, you won't. It's a popcorn movie. It's a popcorn movie. Yep. Don't yeah. expect. Don't expect. As we as we discussed, we pointed out plenty of holes in the story and yes. the making of the movie. Yes. But at the end of the day, I still enjoyed my my two hours I spent at the movie theater yep. watching it. Exactly. Um, so that's going to do it for us uh, with Pacific Rim Uprising. Uh, like I said before, we're going to be emceeing the raffle at the Ivy event this Thursday. So go check that out. Go buy tickets at theivyevent.com. But for the Canadian machine, Mr. David Melhorn, I am your very best good movie buddy, Rick Williamson. And we're going to see you next week with Steven Spielberg's Ready Player One on the Popcorn Diet. Adios.